0: Welcome back Utah skiers and riders, we hope you've been enjoying the great snow conditions this winter across the state. Hi, I'm Tom Kelly, your host for Last Chair from Ski Utah, telling the story of the greatest snow on Earth. This week, we've traveled up to the head of Big Cottonwood Canyon, some of the most gorgeous alpine terrain in the Wasatch. I have to say, looking up at the texture of the snow this morning covering the mountain peaks above Solitude is just one of my very, very favorite views. Just so majestic. We're joined this week by Solitude President and Chief Operating Officer Kim Mayhew, a highly respected ski industry leader. Kim decided to follow her heart back in the 1980s, ditching her career in New England and driving out west with her husband to find the good life here in Utah. It's a move that's seems to have worked out pretty well. Kim spent most of her career at Deer Valley Resort but made the move to Solitude in 2014 and now heads one of the real gems of the Altera Mountain Company here at Solitude Mountain Mountain Resort. And Kim, welcome to Last Chair. Great to have you here.
1: Thank you, Tom. It's a pleasure and an honor to uh, sit across the table from you and uh, Thank well, you.
0: it's 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 wonderful to be here. I had a great ski morning, and we had about I, I think you reported four inches of snow, but I have to tell you, you underreported it last okay. night. I think it was wonderful <laughs> out there. Great. We found some great pockets uh, out there today, and it was it was just a blast. Six to eight inches of fresh snow and bluebird days, some nice groomers, so a wonderful solitude morning.
1: Great, glad you got a chance to see our spectacular uh, mountainside.
0: It's been great. How is your How has your season been so far?
1: It has been wonderful. Mother nature has been very good to us. Um, You know, coming off a season like last year, you just never know where you're going to drop. And uh, this season has been fantastic.
0: Yeah, it's it's been it's been so much fun and great to get out here at uh, Solitude. Uh, let's learn a little bit about your background. And you know, I've known you for some years, but I didn't know exactly your story and how you got here. And it's one of those great stories where you kind of came out with your husband uh, to be ski bums and hopscotch around the West and landed here in Utah. Tell us the story.
1: Well, that's exactly right. Um, Back in the late 70s, um, my husband and I were on our own career paths. Believe it or not, I was a dental hygienist. Um, And I soon learned within the first couple years that um, I wasn't as passionate about the dental industry um, as I was about the ski industry. I taught skiing to get through college on weekends, and I always wondered if it was possible to make a living in the ski industry. Well, story goes, I um, one day drove to work, kind of ignored a slow leak Uh, An oil leak um, in my Volkswagen Bug. And of course, they don't hold a lot of oil. So you don't have a lot of chances there. So I leaked and I came out and tried to start my car and seized up the engine um, in my Volkswagen Bug. And that was in October of 1978. Um, my husband came and picked me up from work and said, uh, what are we going to do? And I said, you know, what are we doing? What are, Where are we going with our careers? And um, we spent the next year and a half um, planning our escape, um, took the whole summer of 1980 between May and October um, to travel across the United States and Canada. And we landed here in Utah and never looked back. We I had the- a fantastic year that first year. And yes,
0: I think the cool thing about that story is so you had a Volkswagen, uh, you had a Volkswagen van? Actually, it was a Bug. It was a Bug. You yeah, a bug. the Super Beetle. You how would you carry skis in that?
1: Um, very carefully. Actually, we had a ski rack that went on the back um, and we figured it out.
0: Where did you grow up skiing as a young girl?
1: Um, I grew up in central New Hampshire. I skied many different resorts, uh, mainly a small local mountain called Tenney Mountain, um, which is trying to make a comeback this year. I actually met the GM um, last summer and had a great conversation with him and wished him best of luck to revitalize that uh, ski resort. I skied a lot at Waterville Valley. Um, I learned to ski at Snow's Mountain, which was the rope tow prior to Mount Tecumseh coming on board um, at Waterville Valley prior to Tom Cochran. Yeah. And I skied, I raced until I was 14, sitting in the back of a van every single weekend, yeah. going to Cannon Mountain, Loon Mountain, um, and um, uh, seeing the a lot of resorts around New England as a young girl.
0: So what was it that really ignited that passion for you as a young girl and as you were growing up for the sport of skiing?
1: Um, I had a ski instructor when I was nine years old. And prior to that, um, my best friends and I you know, would try to find a way to ditch our ski school lessons because we'd pack up every Saturday morning and I was in a ski school lesson every single Saturday morning. We'd try to find ways to ditch. Um, I got a woman named Heidi, Heidi Anderson. She was from Europe. Um and she was German. Um, her husband was a professor at the local college. Um, and she ignited a passion in me because she actually saw something that I didn't see. She goes, Kim, you, you are a natural." And I said, well, I wish my ballet teacher would tell me that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but she basically, you know, ignited a passion. She was very encouraging, um, but I think she also recognized um, that I'd spent a lot of time on skis and it came pretty naturally, and she wanted to emphasize that. So I owe her a lot. She's no longer with us. Um, she, both she and her husband passed away quite a long while ago, but I'll always remember her as um, an inspiring female uh, coach.
0: Yeah, w- were your parents and your whole family involved in the sport?
1: Good story. Um, my dad had raced as a young, um, young man, um, at the prep school he went to, um, and then kind of gave it up for a while while the while we were very very young. But by the time I was three, and my brother was almost five, um, we my dad reunited himself with the skiing, um, his passion for skiing. We didn't get my mother skiing till um, she till I was twelve. She was very um, she was an ice skater. She was actually a um, professional ice skater and uh, roller skater won many awards in, in her hometown of Manchester, New Hampshire. Um, so she was very athletic, but she was so afraid of skiing. She was worried that with four kids, if she broke her leg, um, that would be a problem. She wouldn't be the, the good mom that she had always um, been. So we got her out there at, when I was about 12 and uh, taught her to ski. And uh, she fell in love with it and skied for many years after that.
0: Did you teach her to ski?
1: Um, I helped teach her how to ski, and by that time, I had had so many lessons. It was very
0: you knew the natural,
1: routine. yeah, for me to to kind of help her. It was kind of fun, actually.
0: You know, I think one of the cool things about that story that I know you see this today here at Solitude is this is a lifelong family activity, and. Kids, grandkids, everybody can enjoy this.
1: Oh, and it is so evident here. When I ride the chairlift with our guests, the multi-generational excitement um, that comes grandma and the, and the grandkids, it is just amazing. And, you know, solitude is special to a lot of these families, especially long-term families here in the Salt Lake Valley. Salt Lake learned to ski at solitude, and they're very proud to talk about that and very proud to call it their family Resort.
0: Yeah. Back to your cross country journey with your husband. So Walk us through that. Uh, I don't. Was Utah your final destination or is this where you happened to land?
1: Um, it wasn't our final destination, but we determined it was our final destination. We um, visited many ski resorts across the United States and Canada, mainly in the West. Um, looking at resorts such as Jackson Hole, loved the area. And we were sitting there at the campground that summer. It was August by the time we were in Um, Jackson Hole, and just sitting there looking at it going, uh, once you're in Jackson Hole, you're kind of there for the winter. Of course, back then in 1980, um, air flights in and out of the Jackson Hole airport, Delta wasn't flying out of there. It was pretty isolated. So we were looking at being in a place where we were closer to civilization, but still had the opportunity to um, be in the mountains, so we um, looking in the Lake Tahoe area, um, we looked very closely at the Lake Tahoe area, um, both uh, the Nevada side and the California side of the Lake Tahoe mm-hmm. area and the ski resorts there, and the history there, yeah. you know, at Squaw and the excitement would just rolled through me. Um, we made our way down to Mammoth and some of these other places. And again, it's that isolation. Um, We made our way and and we camped um, here in uh, central Utah and decided that this was going to be the place. Also, one of the fun stories is in Ski Magazine, the year before we came out here, um, there was speculation that there would be a new mountain being built called Heritage Mountain right on the backside there down in Provo. Well, we didn't know Provo. We didn't know the area. We didn't. We just thought, wouldn't it be amazing to get into the ground floor of a brand new ski resort? Well, that resort never re- materialized. And in the meantime, I got myself fully certified um, as a ski instructor while working at Sundance Mountain Resort. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, Deer Valley was the big new winner in terms of being a brand new resort. And while I didn't get in on the ground floor that first year, I did start there in November of 1982 at second year. And I was so glad to be able to do that.
0: As a ski instructor? As a ski instructor. So I'm curious about Heritage Mountain. Where was that? Or where would it have um, if, been?
1: If you were to go straight down, I think it's called, um, I'm not sure what the street is that heads right toward the mountain, where the uh, state... Uh, 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 school is. There's a, is it Center Street? I think yeah. it's Center Street yeah. in Provo. Pardon me for forgetting, but I you head straight down Center Street and it was right there in that canyon. And Actually, Ski Magazine in 1979 had this huge, big spread on this brand new mountain and all the investors that were going to um, invest in this mountain called Heritage Mountain. Yeah, it was kind of an exciting time. Well, we found out one year after we'd been here that the investments had fallen through and kind of the excitement had died. And then suddenly there was Deer Valley. And it lined up perfectly for me.
0: Not a bad place to not, spend some years.
1: <laughs> not a bad place to spend a lot of years.
0: Yes. So go back to the early days of Deer Valley. We all know it today, and it's also part of the Altera Mountain Company now. Um, but what was it like in those early days? It was was that vision that Edgar had and that Stein brought in, was that evident at that point?
1: It was, absolutely. Um, and it was part of the, the original culture. And what a wonderful opportunity for Edgar and Polly to put in place um, a ski resort that had their vision and their culture in mind. Deer Valley was based upon the uh, principles of a five-star hotel, with skiing as kind of like the amenity um, at the hotel, you know, the arrival, the guest service, um, the staff, staff being um, plentiful and um, being able to nurture uh, the most incredible guest experience. And cuisine was part of it as well. And we learned very quickly that that was a unique and new model. I mean, you grew up in probably a similar situation to me. I mean, skiing was pretty primitive and you had to be a pretty hardy crowd to schlep your skis around and and do the things that we did um, in the 50s, 60s, 70s you know, as a hardy skier. Yeah. And the Stern saw that as um, a detriment to the ski resort business. Um, and they were competing with people who would throw a bikini in a suitcase and go on a cruise. So they knew they had to, going into the future, make it a, an easier
0: experience for their guests. And they succeeded. You know, I think a lot of us take it for granted now because we have this expectation of the hospitality and the customer service. But it really didn't exist in that fashion 30, 40 years ago.
1: It really didn't. I mean, think about what it, what ski resort life was was like. And, and especially growing up in central New Hampshire, it was pretty primitive. So yeah. it was a unique opportunity to get into uh, the ground floor of something that was revolutionary in the ski industry.
0: So at Deer Valley, how did you springboard from your job as a ski instructor up to another full-time position?
1: Well, I started out as a ski instructor. I was basically a children's specialist. I really enjoyed working with um, young children. Um, Within a few years, uh, my boss, his name was Sal Rayo. Um, Sal said, hey, Kim, would you like to be a supervisor in our children's programs? I thought, yeah, I'd like to do that. I'd like to be able to train and teach other instructors um, how to do that. So I became a ski school supervisor um, a few years later, I was asked to be the children's program manager, and I actually, um, that year when I was offered that position was the year I started the Deer Valley Summer Adventure Camp. Um, it was the summer of 1996, and I'd made that proposal. I pitched my proposal to Bob Wheaton and, and Sal Rayo in the fall of 1995 and said, we need to um, have children here at this resort year-round. That was an opportunity to keep great people employed. Um, And so I did that for a number of years. I was 19 years um, with the ski school, that business unit. And then in the winter um, of, actually it was uh, February of 2001, um, the HR director needed to uh, leave for uh, personal reasons. And I threw my hat in the ring. To be uh, um, the HR director, I thought that would be a really unique way to see the entire business from a different seat, different place. And Bob Wheaton was very encouraging, and um, he actually did promote me to that position in 2001, um, just a year before we hosted uh, the Olympic Games. Mm -hmm. So I became very involved in transportation and a lot of the LOC things that were happening at the time. Um, and I loved it. I fell in love with the overall hiring um, and um, the ability to um, make a difference in other places around the resort other than just in the ski school. It was fan- I loved that job.
0: What was the key to that job? What was the key to your success in HR?
1: Um, I've always had a um, real value for the human side, even as a ski school manager, looking, it's people delivering a product and keeping that in mind and teaching people that they are our product. Um, You can have the finest uh, dining, finest um, resort infrastructure and the best lifts on the planet, but if the people are not delivering a product that is um, valued, um, you're losing. Um, But it is nurturing people that I really enjoyed.
0: And letting them have fun to do their job.
1: Exactly. And letting them know, I loved coaching and mentoring. And that always helped. And being able to have my hand in um, mentoring and nurturing the ski patrol manager was such a wonderful opportunity for me um, all over the resort, just being able to influence how
0: we did things. You know, over the past five years or so, the ski industry has revolutionized, and you've really ridden the wave literally uh, in your transition from Deer Valley over here to Solitude.
1: Yes, um, and the transition has been um, a wonderful journey, actually. I loved working for um, Deer Valley, and when both Deer Valley and then eventually Solitude were sold to Altera Mountain Company, who gets to have another whole journey um, with a new company within their career? I am very fortunate to be able to do that. And to have uh, 14 other ski resorts um, as a um, reference and um, as a uh, to reach out to um, for. Uh, Guidance thoughts run things by each other. It's it's a it is a great opportunity. So I'm I'm enjoying this ro- second
0: ride. <laughs> so so when you know just to walk through the logistics of this. So Deer Valley acquired Solitude, and then you came over to head that operation. Right, and then eventually Altera Mountain Company purchased. Solitude. So that's kind of put you into the position that you are now as president and COO of Solitude, part of Altera.
1: That's correct. That is correct. Um, When Deer Valley announced that they were entering into a purchase agreement with the uh, family-owned solitude mountain resort that announcement was made um i'll never forget that day um it was in october of 2014 it was exactly five days before my son got married um and i was fortunate enough to be in the loop on kind of what was happening but that public announcement was it gave me goosebumps it was very exciting to be able to see um deer valley expand um and um i was asked to be the operator in December of 2014 um, I, and I never hesitated you know I no regrets um, it, I left a great job I was not dissatisfied with my job that HR director job was amazing but this was another whole opportunity so um, came over in the winter of tw- uh, January of 2015 as what was called the transition manager we did not own this property at that time, but the family allowed me to get inside their business to be able to build a whole new payroll system, accounting systems, find out who does what here. And while I'd been in the ski business my whole life, each each business has its own nuances um, as to why they do things the way they do. And I needed to get into the business to learn how people did things here. So uh, that whole winter was able to find out the organizational structure um how we would do things going forward and the final purchase was on may 1st of 2015 and uh Off I went.
0: And here we are today. Here we
1: are today. Um, Deer Valley was sold in October of 2017 to Altera Mountain Company. We followed suit on August 1st of 2018. Um, It was kind of weird being a little bit in limbo there for (laughs) those few months and not being attached at the hip with uh, Deer Valley, but eventually we were reattached. And uh, I'm very happy to be part of that group.
0: Let's talk about this amazing place at Solitude. What is it in your mind that makes this place so unique?
1: I, I think that every single um, resort that you go to has its own unique brand and culture. And I think the thing about, the, uh, about Solitude is its family-friendly feel. Anywhere you go, and, and I read every single survey that our guest um, fills out, and that is the underlying theme is a guest Friendly, it's family friendly, um, as well as beautiful. I mean, it's gorgeous for you to uh, look around with your eyes, but it's also a fun, inclusive family feel. And fortunately, um, we have been able to maintain that brand and culture, even though we're part of an Altera um, mountain company. Uh, Part of the commitment of Altera is to maintain that brand and culture that makes you unique in the ski business.
0: You know, for me, whether you're staying at the inn or any of the lodging properties here, just the feeling walking through the village, It it's this small, quaint little village, beautiful alpine peaks above it. It just has this amazing feel.
1: It really does. It almost has that European feel um, that a lot of people don't get a chance to experiment with or, or experience. Um, but- with our clock tower and kind of the um, wonderful cozy feel, you do get that kind of European coziness.
0: Yes. For, for those who are not familiar with the on-mountain runs, talk us through a little bit of some of the real hallmarks that you have here, Honeycomb and some of the other areas.
1: Um, we are really unique. We're small, but we ski big. Um, we're 1,200 acres of skiable terrain. Um, which is about half the size of some of the larger ski resorts even here in Utah. Um, But because of the nature of our terrain, we really do ski big. It's um, aspiring for our guests to be able to um, grow with the mountain as well. I hear as I ride up the lift, I hear people say, yes, I was able to get onto the summit lift this year and to experience some of the um, terrain that is a little more challenging, and to be able to see some of the views that you see from the from the top, I guess up there at, at summit. So uh, we are a unique. We have um, a variety of terrain for our guests, a variety of types of lifts for our guests. We're well connected in terms of how you can make your make your day uh, go around the mountain. Um, and we have something for everybody.
0: You know, for me, going up to the top of Summit, going to the gate, looking out over Highway to Heaven, looking down to the to the reservoir, and it's it's you could st- I could stand there forever and just look at that view.
1: I I, I agree, and you know what's really wonderful is to see guests. Uh, as I get off the lift up there, guests enjoying it just as much as I do, um, taking pictures with their family and making those memories that they're going to take with them. Remember when we um, had our picture uh, with those cliffs and behind us? And yeah, it's pretty exciting.
0: Remember that run we took through Honeycomb?
1: Honeycomb, yeah, the longest. That's a long run. It's nearly three miles long, and um, it, it has a lot of variety, a lot of fun.
0: So it's a beautiful place. It's a pristine place. It's in a canyon. And I know that presents a lot of challenges for you. I mean, one is managing the incredible snowfall that you get up here.
1: Right. Um, We do manage it well. I am so fortunate to have a team of experts here um, on staff. Our avalanche mitigation team, I would put them second to none to anyone in the world. We deal with some really unique challenges here, um, even more so than a snowbird in Alta. Snowbird and Alta, uh, that road gets shut down because of the avalanche uh, danger coming off Mount Superior and whatnot, but not necessarily directly within the resort. Although they do have their challenges, we have some very unique challenges here. With our cliff bands, And the nooks and crannies where snow load can happen very quickly with even the slightest amount of wind, Um, I have to have a team of experts to go out there and make sure that things are safe and um, skiable for for our guests. So yes, we do have a challenge. The challenges too are keeping our UDOT friends, keeping our road clear uh, for guests to make it up. We are a box canyon in the wintertime, meaning that there's only one way in. And one way out. And it makes it a big challenge uh, for guests getting up and back.
0: Do you integrate frequently with UDOT to stay updated on things and also maybe to play a role in what's happening with closures?
1: Yes, we have a really unique relationship with the Utah Department of Transportation. We have to work very closely with them in order to um, mitigate some of the things that happen. We actually help um, UDOT mitigate uh, snow load, um, especially right in front of our resort. Uh, they They do an amazing job, I commend them, but they also look to us for some help and support um, getting the roads
0: cleared. You know, I know one of the things that's been a little bit of a topic this year is increased uh, uh, regulation on tires on vehicles, which from my perspective is long overdue. Uh, how how Were you involved at all in that decision and trying to get people to be better equipped to come up the canyon?
1: Yes, there are many of us, all, all the four resort presidents, as well as the Central Wasatch Commission. Um, encouraging uh, our Unified Police Department to do uh, a little bit more diligence in checking for traction um, requirements for people to come up and down the canyon. It's very specific in terms of the type of snow tire that are required, as well as uh, four-wheel or all-wheel drive, as well as chains. And if people would follow those guidelines, we'd probably have fewer Um, issues on bigger snow days Um, you're going to have slow traffic but when there are accidents due to the fact that people don't have the appropriate equipment um, and they're not equipped for that that's a challenge.
0: So I took the bus up this morning I love taking public transportation, and, and it was really an efficient way to get up here. I know you've done a lot of work in this area, and uh, maybe enlighten us a little bit as to what you've been able to accomplish there to also help the traffic loads coming up the canyon.
1: Yes. Uh, we, uh, last spring, um, the marketing team um, and my the rest of my team started talking a little bit about what are we going to own in terms of clean air initiatives, and uh, congestion in this canyon. What is it that we can do to support that? We've always had the support of our UTA, the Utah Transit Authority, um, and the ski bus, but there are other ways to help mitigate traffic. One of the things that we decided that would be um, controversial but also effective was to uh, Put some initiatives out there to encourage carpooling and I have to say um, it was a um, it was a challenge to do that be the only resort um, in the state of Utah to be charging for parking um, and encourage and having it tiered parking to encourage people to carpool um, but I'm very proud to say that my team and the team that we partnered with for the parking initiative, it's going smoothly. It's going really well. And people are looking at us as kind of the model to see what happens in terms of congestion. What's really fortunate for us is the company that we partnered with, we get status, statistics in real time in terms of how many people are actually carpooling because we are um, seeing the the actual numbers in the vehicles and being able to reward people who carpool with three or more people and we're seeing some amazing statistics. Stay tuned I think that uh, next spring we're going to um, reveal some of those statistics to demonstrate that it really is working. And it's hard, it's, it's change is difficult for people, um, but we also know that um, we needed to do something to cut down on the congestion in this canyon.
0: I think a big aspect of it being a success is you were able to get Utah Transit Authority to up its number of buses.
1: Yes, they have been an incredible partner I'm so proud of their thinking outside the box to find ways to increase the frequency of uh, bus service up our canyon and also up Little Cottonwood Canyon by making some adjustments in their um, routes um, in order to do that. They've done a great job, and it's while there are times on weekends when those buses are pretty crowded, for the most part, it's a pretty great experience for our guests, and we pay for that trip. As part of the Icon Pass and part of uh, Ski Pass product, people can tap on and tap off that ski bus, and it's on our dime. And we're proud to be able to do that, to get our guests up here um,
0: conge- congestion-free, if you will. Yeah. yeah, It was interesting for me as I planned my trip over here today to look at the frequency and see that the buses are going every 15 minutes.
1: Yes. Isn't that great? Yeah,
0: so you don't have to like say, oh – I can stop and I can get a breakfast burrito and I can just take the next bus 15 minutes later.
1: There you go. And that's great. And, you know, our guests um, have become a little more accustomed to utilizing public transportation to get up these canyons and recognizing that we're trying to do our best to get, have a great experience yeah. for our guests
0: the ski industry has revolutionized over the last five years with uh, the growth of uh, companies like Vale resorts and Altera and and, and others uh, look into the crystal ball a little bit and you know where do you see the industry going and uh, you know clearly the past programs are are benefiting skiers and allowing them to ski more inexpensively um, but do you have any thoughts on where where things are going and how that will help solitude
1: Yes, and and probably uh, on a greater note, um, how these past products are actually helping the ski industry as a whole. Um, As a ski industry, we we don't have as many skiers as we did 30 years ago. Baby boomers are aging out, and they were probably the hardiest group of people on the mountains purchasing product and um, being out on the mountain. I think that the pass product has made it affordable again for families. The uh, one great story is opening weekend. um, I was able to ride up the chairlift with a father and a mom and their two kids were sitting on the lift right in front of us. And they said this was the first time that they had been able to afford ski passes in almost four years as a family. And it was because they were able to afford the Icon Pass. So it's making it affordable for those families to continue to have that multi-generational experience and to experience the family-friendly feel of solitude. And I'm very, I'm very proud of that. It has become affordable. And I think that um, as a ski industry, um, we need that. We, we have fewer skier visits. Last year than we had 30 years ago, Um, fewer and fewer people are getting into the sport. And so we want to encourage it, people to stay and people to take it up when they can.
0: You know, one of the things that I noticed skiing over here last year is how many people on the lifts lived in another icon community like Steamboat. And we're coming over to sample other resorts because they have the opportunity with the pass.
1: And what a great opportunity. And kind of the natural evolution of a skier is this, you ski at your home resort and you, you learn it really well. And then you get that, um, um, urge to have an experience somewhere else. So you might go to another local, hop in your car and go to another local mountain. But then this Icon Pass or even, you know, the Epic Pass allows for people to hop on a plane and go and ski at another resort and experience another whole place and I think that's really encouraging to see that happen
0: it's added a whole new dimension
1: it has indeed we've seen a lot of um, skiers from California taking that one-hour flight up into Salt Lake and being able to ski at five incredible iconic uh, ski resorts on their icon pass
0: yeah what a beautiful experience I, I want to um talk a little bit before we close about your role as a mentor. And you've had the great fortune of being able to progress up in various roles within the ski industry. And now you're a leader and, and a, a female leader uh, in an industry that had historically been dominated by men. You have been a great mentor and continue to to be so. How do you see your role in helping to educate and bring up the next generation of leaders?
1: Well, I take it um, wholeheartedly as an obligation um, as a leader to nurture and grow that next generation of leaders and and not necessarily just in the ski industry. Um, I think that our world has changed and I think um, – Taking it very seriously to grow the next generation of leaders, regardless of the industry, regardless of gender, um, is something that I am passionate about. I've been part of the Ski Area Management Mentoring Program for the last year, and the last two years, I've been part of the Westminster College Master Track uh, Mentoring Program. And I'm also on the National Ski Area Association Board, where I'm part of a sustainable leadership committee looking at ways to encourage the next generation of leaders to jump in. And the world has changed. Um, When you look at where I started as a leader and where that next generation is going to go, they are going to have to be really good with people, they are going to have to understand our planet, and at the same time, make a profit. Those three P's, being people-oriented, understanding the planet, and being profitable is the next generation of, of leaders. And that is a
0: huge task, huge task. Isn't it exciting too to watch where your former employees have been and to track their careers in the industry?
1: Um, it is fun to watch and see um, kind of who does what and who kind of goes where. Um, I'm particularly proud of one individual I've known for a long time, she was the president and COO of Mount Snow in Vermont. Um, Kelly Pollock, uh, Kelly threw her hat in the ring a couple years ago and is now president of the National Ski Area Association. And, um, I'm, I, I just think that is wonderful. Just watching what people are doing
0: and where they're going. Cool. Well, we're going to close it out with some uh, fun stuff. I've got a little lightning round for you. So we're going to give you about a half a dozen questions. Pretty simple. Okay. No uh, zingers here. Uh, you actually already covered this, but where did you first learn to ski?
1: I learned to ski at Mount Snow um, at the base of Mount Tecumseh on a on a rope tow um, in 1960. 1960.
0: Favorite ski run in Utah?
1: Favorite ski run in Utah. Oh my gosh. Well, um, if I could, I'd like to say my favorite ski terrain area. Um, Solitude had my heart long before I came here as the um, as the general manager. I skied here a lot um, during my early years in uh, Utah. And I've always loved the area just off the top of the Powderhorn Lift. If you come down the Eagle Ridge, just a few doors down, you've got this um, gate called Here Be Dragons. And that whole area just opens up into this incredible playground that I can't get enough of. Where does it drop into? It drops into Honeycomb Canyon. Right off that west-facing ridge. Oh, my gosh. So incredibly fun. They'll, and it's different every time. That's the fun part. There'll be a line up there
0: now once this podcast I runs.
1: I would suspect so. I think there's a lot of people that have discovered that. I do like to ski bumps. I'm a real uh, bump skier. And we have a couple bump runs here at uh, Solitude that I love when they're big, huge, big, round, soft bumps um, off the Powderhorn Lift. Kind of a fun fun place to catch your bump. Yeah. Uh,
0: well, this is this is good to hear. And we're gonna come back to that in a couple of okay. questions. So hold okay. that thought. Okay. Favorite ski resort outside of Utah.
1: Ooh, wow, that's big. Um I, ooh, I'm trying to think of where my favorite. Jackson Hole. You know, um, I've skied there uh, probably in the, once a year for the last 10 years. In the wintertime, I've been able to break free. Um, and it's just um, it's just as breathtaking as anywhere here in Utah. It's
0: amazing. Yes. Isn't it? Uh, best on-mountain lunch at Solitude.
1: Oh, the roundhouse by far. Um, our selection of both vegetarian and meat-fixed uh, curries, um, light and yummy while you're out there on the mountain.
0: Favorite pizza?
1: My favorite pizza would be the margarita pizza here at the Stonehouse.
0: Awesome. Favorite apres ski activity?
1: Well, it's always fun to have a cocktail or get together with friends um, after work. And uh, our Thirsty Squirrel does offer a really nice um, apres venue.
0: Great. Favorite Utah craft beer?
1: Oh, um, you went to Yard Sale Winter Lager. I'm a logger girl.
0: You are? Yeah. I don't know that I've
1: had that one. You should try Where it. Where do you serve it here? Um, here at the Thirsty Squirrel. Check last, it out.
0: Last question. Groomers, Powder Glades, or Moguls?
1: Oh, boy. I'd like to do all of them in one day, every day. Um, if I had to pick the Calm serene feel of gliding through thigh deep powder is a sensation i will never get tired of
0: I ever get tired gonna, of i thought you were going to be my first one to first choose moguls
1: well you know i do live in utah and we have the greatest snow on earth um and generally you know start that day with the powder and then toward the end of the day you got your powder bumps so hey, you get. Okay, you can, I'm gonna check it off. Okay,
0: <laughs> Kim, thanks for joining us.
1: Thank you so much, Tom. It's been my pleasure.
0: Kim Mayhew, President and CEO of Solitude Mountain Resort, one of the most respected ski industry leaders. What a great day it's been up here at Solitude. Uh, some awesome turns this morning. Come on up to ski or ride this winter. I'm Tom Kelly, your host for Ski Utah's Last Chair. See you on the slopes this winter.